Hey guys, this is Brie. You're listening to Brief, the podcast that summarizes all the books. This is episode two of The Book Thief. In this episode, we are going over parts four through seven. And in episode three after this one, we'll be going over parts eight through the end and then going in depth on themes. Part four is called The Standover Man, featuring the accordionist, a promise keeper, a good girl, a Jewish fist fighter, the wrath of Rosa, a lecture, a sleeper, the swapping of nightmares, and some pages from the basement. The first chapter is called The Accordionist, The Secret Life of Hans Huberman. Max walks into the Huberman's house, and Hans sees him, and he asks, he says to Hans, do you still play the accordion? So death begins to tell us the story of Hans Huberman and how he came to have a Jewish man hiding in his basement. Hans Huberman joined World War I in his 20s, although he really wanted to avoid it, but he was sent to war in World War I. He made friends with a German Jew named Eric Vandenberg. This is Max's father. And Eric teaches Hans to play the accordion. One day, Eric dies in battle and Hans survives because he didn't go to battle that day. And what happened was they were all lined up and the captains, I don't know, chiefs, <laughs> whatever you call uh, German captains in World War One, said they needed someone to stay behind to write letters for someone higher up in the army and asked who had the best handwriting. And nobody wanted to volunteer because most of the time when they have to stay behind, they have to like clean toilets or something. And Eric volunteered Hans to stay behind and write these letters. Even though Hans doesn't really have that great of handwriting, he was just like, hey man, I'm going to do you a solid. You don't need to go to war today. And he did that, you know, obviously not thinking that he was going to die that day, but that saved his life. Eric volunteering him to stay behind and not go to battle. Everyone else in his battalion. I don't really know the verbiage to use here. Everyone else died except for him. Eric left behind his accordion in the war and after the war ended, Hans went to find Eric Vandenberg's family to return this accordion and talk to them. So he tracks down his wife and knocks on her door and introduces himself and his wife tells Hans to keep the accordion and asks him to play a song. And before he leaves, he wrote on a sheet of paper his name and his address and said, if you need anything, contact me because I owe him my life, basically. I, the only reason I'm alive is because Eric did that for me. Before he leaves, Eric's wife introduces him to their son, Max, who at the time was like two years old. Hans didn't know that Eric had a son. He never told him that. And death tells us that this family, the Vandenbergs, won't need Hans's help for another 20 years. When Hitler rises to power, Hans doesn't join the Nazi party because a Jewish man saved his life. So he does not buy into this propaganda that Jewish people are unworthy or not human or whatever they're spewing at the time because Eric Vandenberg was a German Jew who saved his life. So Hans put a lot of thought into his decision to not join the Nazi party. And on page 180, as one of the like side notes with the asterisks, it says the thought process of Hans Huberman. He was not well educated or political, but if nothing else, he was a man who appreciated fairness. A Jew had once saved his life and he couldn't forget that. He couldn't join a party that antagonized people in such a way. 
Also, much like Alex Steiner, some of his most loyal customers were Jewish. Alex Steiner is Rudy's dad. Like many of the Jews believed, he didn't believe that the hatred could last, and it was a conscious decision not to follow Hitler. On many levels, it was a disastrous one. Because of this, Hans lost most of his customers. Remember, he's a house painter. So then, as the years go by, Jews are being terrorized at random throughout the country, and in the spring of 1937, almost to his shame, it says on page 181, Hans Huberman finally submitted. He made some inquiries and applied to join the party. When he returns from putting his application into the Nazi party, he sees officers trashing a Jewish man's store. And he offers to help the man, but he refuses. And they've painted a gold Jewish star on his work so that nobody will buy anything there. And the next day, Hans goes back and paints the door for him. The next day, Hans goes back to the Nazi party office and tells them, I can't join the Nazi party anymore. They don't revoke his application, but they put him on a waiting list. One day, when Hans leaves for work, he is approached by a man named Walter. This is Max's friend. And Walter asks Hans if he still plays the accordion and if he likes to keep his promises. And then he tells him the situation and they agree to meet again. Okay, the next chapter is called A Good Girl. So Max comes into the kitchen. He's 24 years old. And he says to Hans, do you still play the accordion? On page 185, it says, of course, the question was really, will you still help me? Of course, he says yes. He takes him inside, closes the curtains. They talk in the living room for a while, and Liesel heard voices and came out into the hallway. And Hans says, everything's fine, Liesel. Go back to bed. And then as she goes back into her room, she hears Hans say to Max, don't be afraid. She's a good girl. The next chapter is called A Short History of the Jewish Fist Fighter. The Jewish Fist Fighter is Max Vandenberg. So, Max was born in 1916 in Stuttgart, and he loves fist fighting. When Max is nine, he moved in with his cousins because his mom is super poor, and obviously his father died in war. At 13, Max's uncle dies, probably from cancer. It says on 189, when death captures me, the boy vowed he will feel my fist on his face. So Max starts street fighting a ton at this point when he's a teenager. His favorite fight is from when he was 15. He fought a boy named Walter Kugler, who ended up being his best friend. He beats Walter Kugler, and then they fight again over the years, a total of 13 times, and he lost 10 of those. But they form a friendship. When they're old enough, they get jobs, but Max loses his job because he is Jewish. Walter is like, this is horrible. Why is this happening? And this was not long after the Nuremberg Laws came into effect. There were two Nuremberg Laws, and the first, you know, forbade marriages between Jews and Germans, or any sort of intercourse between Jews and Germans. And the second law was that only Germans could be citizens, not Jewish people. And so he lost his job. They hoped that things would get better like Hans Huberman, they didn't think that this hate of Jewish people could last. But by 1938, it was difficult to imagine that life could get any harder. And then came November 9th, which is called Kristallnacht. It means the night of broken glass. Basically, a bunch of German people and Nazis went around bashing in 
Jewish companies and buildings, just like destroying anything that was a Jewish person's property. And this is when Max Vandenberg escaped and he was 22. On this night, Max is 22. He's with his family. Remember, he lives with his aunt and cousins and his mom and they're in the living room. Walter comes to the back door and he's basically like, Max, we have to get you out of here. Max doesn't want to leave. He's like, I can't leave my family. I think he's the oldest of his cousins. They're all younger and his mom and his aunt. But his mom and aunt basically throw him out the back door. They're like, you have to leave. This is your only chance to survive. And so he goes with Walter and Walter hides Max in a storeroom where he previously worked. And Walter checks on Max's family throughout this time that he's hiding Max. But one day they're just gone. Max is devastated, obviously. He feels like a coward for leaving. He feels like he didn't do what he should have done to protect his family. But this was kind of his only choice. And Walter worries because the situation is worsening and he can't get to Max that often. Max is starving. He's literally just in like this cupboard laying down in the dark with like no food. As he was leaving his mother that night, she put a piece of paper in his hand and it was the paper that Hans Huberman gave her with his address that said, if you ever need anything, call me. So Max gives this piece of paper to Walter and says what he knows about him, which was that he played the accordion, that his father taught him to play the accordion. And Max stays hidden until Walter goes to Hans, asks, you know, are you still willing to help? Will you take Max in and hide him? And he agrees. And Walter receives orders to go to Poland to fight in the war. That's basically Max's backstory. So he got on a train, came to Munich, and is at the Huberman's house. And now we're back to present day where Max is sitting in the kitchen with Hans drinking coffee and Rosa enters the room. The next chapter is called The Wrath of Rosa. So Rosa sits with them at the table, gets Max some pea soup to eat. And as he eats, he's like obviously starving. He eats it really quickly and seems to enjoy it. And... (laughs) Rosa is happy about this because Lisa always complains about her pea soup and how it's not good. He eats it all too fast. He's too hungry. He throws it up. Liesl comes out of her room again and studies her foster parents. Rosa's not mad. They just seem worried. So the next chapter is called Liesl's Lecture. On page 199, it says, When a Jew shows up at your place of residence in the early hours of the morning, in the very birthplace of Nazism, you're likely to experience extreme levels of discomfort. Anxiety, disbelief, paranoia, each plays its part, and each leads us to a sneaking suspicion that a less than heavenly consequence awaits. The fear is shiny, ruthless in the eyes. So, Liesl walks into the room. Rosa tells her to leave. She goes back into her room and Hans follows her in and asks if she's okay. She says yes and goes to sleep. The next day, they keep her home from school and Rosa tells her that she needs to go to the basement with Hans. Also, Max is asleep in Liesl's room. There's like another bed that was placed there for her brother, but he never came. And because they don't have anything set up in the basement yet, they close the curtains and let Max sleep in Liesl's bedroom. So Liesl goes down to the basement with Hans, and Hans tells her the story of his accordion, reminds her of when she promised to keep his secret. Remember, he was like, don't tell anyone about the book, and you have to promise that you'll always keep my secrets. Well, this is his secret. 
and he tells Liesel that they will be in a lot of trouble if he tells anybody about Max. He's a very calm and gentle person, but he knows to get his point across, he has to be stern. And so he says, you know, Liesel, if you ever tell anyone about this man up there, we will all be in big trouble. At the very least, Mama and I will be taken away. And then he gives her a list of consequences. If you tell anyone about that man, your teacher, Rudy, no matter who it is, if you tell anyone, for starters, I will take each and every one of your books and I will burn them. I'll throw them in the stove or the fireplace. Do you understand? She is shocked. She's devastated. She says, yes. He says, next, they'll take you away from me. Do you want that? To which she obviously says no. And she's crying at this point. And he says, they'll drag that man up there away and maybe mama and me too. And we will never, ever come back. He's like, do you understand? And she says, I understand. And then he hugs her. And I, I mean, I get it. He had to get that point across. Like, you cannot tell anyone about this or we're all doomed. She walks upstairs and Rosa asks her if everything is good. And she says, yes, everything was good, but it was awful too. The next chapter is called The Sleeper. So like I said, Max is asleep in Liesel's bedroom and she checks on him all the time just to make sure that he's still breathing. He's very still. She makes a point to bring up the fact that like she doesn't hear his breath. He's like made it so that he's so quiet even in his sleep that nobody would know that he was there. The only way she knows he's alive is that his chest is moving up and down, which is obviously like a survival tactic. So she notices that he talks in his sleep and appears to have nightmares. And Death points out that they both arrived in a state of agitation on Himmel Street, Liesel and Max, and they both had nightmares. Max wakes up and, like, pleads with Liesel, please help me, basically. The next chapter is called The Swapping of Nightmares. So they move Max down to the basement. They take the mattress from the bed in Liesel's room and put it in the basement in, like, a back corner and cover it with painter tarp things. Max is mad at himself for sleeping in Liesel's room. He slept for three days, which tells you just how exhausted he was. He's like, I can't believe I did that. That was such a huge risk. But they make a bed for him downstairs and they basically try to make it look like a pile of junk. Remember, he feels guilty for leaving his family. And on page 208, Death says, living was living. The price was guilt and shame. So he has survivor's guilt, basically. He doesn't know if his family's alive or not, but he can guess the worst. So at first, Liesl avoids Max. She notices also how different her parents are acting now that he's here, but they force her to go down and give him food so she can like interact with him. And she notices that he is always holding this book called Mein Kampf. And she wants to ask him about it, but she gets scared. But as time passes, they start to have like a normal life, as normal as possible. And Liesl decides that Rosa is a good woman for crisis. She does really good under pressure in a crisis situation. Liesl goes about her activities. She keeps the secret buried. And Max stays in a cold basement. One day, Hans takes Liesl down to the basement to read, because remember, that's where they read. As they're down there, he is talking to Max, and he touches Max's arm and realizes how cold Max is. He's like, there's no way you can survive in this basement. It's way too cold. It's the dead of winter. And so Liesl goes and draws him a warm bath. From then on, every night he sleeps on the floor in the corner of Hans and Rose's room near the fire until morning when he returns to the basement. He can't sleep in Liesl's room and he can't sleep in the living room because if the curtains were always drawn in there, it would raise suspicion. So he sleeps on the floor in their room until morning and then he goes downstairs. 
and he starts bathing regularly, and Liesel points out that his hair looks like feathers. She says this to Hans, but Max overhears it, and he, like, remembers this always, that she thinks his hair looks like feathers. One day, she finally gathers the courage to ask Max if Mein Kampf is a good book, and he says, it's the best book ever. It saved my life. And Liesel asks him how. So he begins to tell the story of his life and how Mein Kampf saved his life. They sit by the fire night after night reading and talking, Liesel and Max and Hans most of the time. It says on page 218, when Liesel looked back on the events of her life, those nights in the living room were some of the clearest memories she had. He tells her that he thinks he's selfish because he left, you know, leaving his people behind, coming here, putting all of them in danger, He apologizes over and over again. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Do you believe me? They find commonality in the fact that they've both been in fistfights. Papa is the one who reveals that Liesel was in a fistfight. They also find commonality in the fact that they both have nightmares. Papa tells Liesel one time that Max has nightmares as well because he notices that he's kind of shifting in his sleep and he notices that he has nightmares. And one night, Liesel goes quietly into her parents' room and whispers softly at Max, wakes him up from his nightmare. Papa was in her bedroom at this point, right? Because she had already had her nightmare. They read and he fell asleep. So Liesel and Max sit in the bedroom by the fireplace. They tell each other about their nightmares. Her nightmare is obviously her brother dying. And his nightmare is turning around and waving goodbye to his family. So Liesel's 12th birthday comes along and she receives a book called The Mud Men from her parents and Max feels awkward and feels bad because he can't give her a present and he's determined to find something and the narrator tells us that a week later she was given a present from him. So for the week after her birthday, she's not allowed to go in the basement. Max told Rosa and Hans what he wanted to do for Liesel, and so they don't let her into the basement at all. But they don't tell her why. They just are like, no, I'll take the food. What Max did was he cut out pages from Mein Kampf and painted over them in white and hung them to dry. And then he painted and wrote a story onto the pages called The Standover Man. So this is like a, it's like illustrated in the middle of the book on page 224 and it says as he worked he heard the whispered words of the girl his hair she told him is like feathers so when he illustrated this book he made himself into a bird so the book is 13 pages and it goes like this and there's pictures on every page all my life i've been scared of men standing over me i suppose my first standover man was my father but he vanished before i could remember him for some reason when i was a boy i liked to fight A lot of the time I lost. Another boy, sometimes with blood falling from his nose, would be standing over me. Many years later, I needed to hide. I tried not to sleep because I was afraid of who might be there when I woke up. But I was lucky. It was always my friend. When I was hiding, I dreamed of a certain man. The hardest was when I traveled to find him. Out of sheer luck and many footsteps, I made it. I slept for a long time. Three days, they told me. And what did I find when I woke up? Not a man, but someone else standing over me. As time passed, the girl and I realized we had things in common. Trains, dreams, fists. But there is one strange thing. The girl says I look like something else. There's an illustrated photo of him looking in the mirror, and in the mirror image, he's a bird. Now I live in the basement. Bad dreams still live in my sleep. 
One night after my usual nightmare, a shadow stood above me. She said, tell me what you dream of. So I did. In return, she explained what her own dreams were made of. Now I think we are friends, this girl and me. On her birthday, it was she who gave a gift to me. It makes me understand that the best standover man I've ever known is not a man at all. Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. Okay, he goes into her bedroom in the middle of the night and leaves it on her bedside in the dark. And in the morning, Liesl reads it and she goes down to the basement to thank him and he's asleep. And so she sits next to him on the bed holding the book close to her and she falls asleep next to him. But before she falls asleep, she looks at the wall and sees that he painted a photo of a little girl with the bird on the wall and then painted like a frame around it, like a framed photo of the two of them. Okay, part five is called The Whistler, featuring a floating book, The Gamblers, A Small Ghost, Two Haircuts, Rudy's Youth, Losers and Sketches, A Whistler and Some Shoes, three acts of stupidity, and a frightened boy with frozen legs. So the first part is called The Floating Book, Part 1. There's a book floating down the Amper River. Rudy, well, it says, a boy jumped in and caught it and held it in his right hand and grinned and asked Liesl for a kiss. He always asks her for a kiss. And, oh my gosh, this is so devastating, and I'm so sorry to tell you this, but one of the side notes here in asterisks, it says, A small announcement about Rudy Steiner. He didn't deserve to die the way he did. When I read that, I was like, (laughs) I don't want to finish this book. Not her friend. Not her sweet little lemon-haired friend. He's so cute and sweet, and I love him. Okay, anyway, at this point, they're 12 years old, and this fate of his that he dies comes two years later. So he's only 14. It says on page 242, on many accounts, taking a boy like Rudy was robbery. So much life, so much to live for, yet somehow I'm certain he would have loved to see the frightening rubble and the swelling of the sky on the night he passed away. He'd have cried and turned and smiled if only he could have seen the book thief on her hands and knees next to his decimated body. He would have been glad to witness her kissing his dusty bomb hit lips. Yes, I know it. In the darkness of my dark beating heart, I know. He'd have loved it all right. You see, even death has a heart. I'm so sorry. Rudy's gonna die. Just prepare yourselves now. It's horrific. It's, oh, it just breaks your heart. Okay, anyway. Next chapter is The Gambler's A Seven-Sided Die. So the Huberman family goes back to normal, as normal as they can. Hans and Rosa argue because they can't find scissors to cut Max's hair. He goes downstairs and he has his pair from when he cut his hair when he left that awful cupboard he was staying in. As Hans and Rosa are fighting, they're both very angry about this, he looks at the only calm person in the room, Liesl, and asks her to cut his hair. She cuts it. It's not that great, but he thanks her. That May, she is at the mayor's house reading a book when she feels her secret weighing on her, her secret of Max. She feels like this compulsion to say her secret out loud so she leaves before she says something that she shouldn't and on her way home she sees a newspaper that has been discarded on the ground and she picks it up which is cause for celebration because they are hard to find there's a crossword that hasn't been done and so she gives the crossword to max and she reads the newspaper while he works on the crossword and he doesn't particularly like crosswords but he loves that she thought to give him one 
And when she goes back to school, she leaves him her books to read. In mid-May, she is playing soccer and she scores a goal, comes home to tell Max all about it, and he asks her to describe what kind of day it is outside. And she goes up the stairs outside and looks at the sky and she comes back and says, The sky is blue today, Max, and there is a big long cloud and it's stretched out like a rope. At the end of it, the sun is like a yellow hole. And Max gets up and paints this picture of the weather. It says, Max at that moment knew that only a child could have given him a weather report like that. So he paints it, and beneath the picture, he writes the following sentence. It was a Monday, and they walked on a tightrope to the sun. Hans and Rosa try to visit Max as much as they can, but the visits he most looks forward to are from Liesel. He loves her, and he loves talking with her and hanging out with her. He decides to take on projects to keep himself from wasting away. So he starts doing push-ups and crunches. He does this thing where he starts imagining himself in a boxing ring fighting Hitler. So he turns out the kerosene lamp, and in the dark he stands and envisions it all. You know, the crowd, Hitler convincing them that Max is a dirty Jew, and to come and help fight Max with him, and it's this whole thing. In June, Liesel goes to the basement and finds Max, Rosa, and Hans painting all the pages of Mein Kampf white. Everything is going smoothly. They're having, you know, a normal-ish life. And then Germany invades the Soviet Union. Right when this happens, the mayor and his wife fire Liesel and her mom. They no longer need them to do the laundry anymore. And the mayor's wife tells Liesel this after Liesel has been in her library that day. Liesel is devastated and she feels betrayed. And she looks at these wealthy people, the mayor, and she thinks, how dare they do this to us? Like, we don't have any money. And she sits on the steps of the house. The mayor's wife gave Liesel a letter to give to Rosa. And in it, she, he says to Rosa that he can't be a hypocrite by using such a luxury as a laundry service when so many of his people don't have that luxury. And Liesel is like, this is so stupid. So she walks home, but then she turns right around and goes back to the mayor's house. And she knocks on the door and she just chews out the mayor's wife, telling her that she's like, you're sitting in a mansion and you're firing poor people like my mom. On page 262, it says, Now she became spiteful, more spiteful and evil than she ever thought herself capable. The injury of words. Yes, the brutality of words. And Liesel goes in on the mayor's wife, tells her that she needs to get over her dead son because she isn't the only person who's lost somebody. She's like, just get over it. She feels terrible, obviously, after this happens. But she goes home and she tells Rosa, she's like, it's my fault that we were fired. I chewed out the mayor's wife and they fired me. And Rosa doesn't believe her. She knows that's not true. But Liesel is like looking for a beating because she feels bad for what she said to the mayor's wife. Liesel heads to the basement and does push-ups with Max to like get out some anger. And that night, Hans sits with her to comfort her. Also, I think I forgot to mention, but around like Liesel's 12th birthday, Liesel tells Hans that she is okay to sleep on her own now, that she doesn't need him to come in to help her with her nightmares anymore, which makes Hans really sad, but also really proud. The next chapter is called Rudy's Youth. In 1941, Rudy and Tommy are part of Hitler's youth program. 
like Liesel, like every child in Germany. Tommy, though, has a hard time hearing. He's like deaf in one of his ears. Being Tommy's friend, Rudy sticks up for him. So the problem with Tommy is that he can't follow commands and orders very well. It's like when they say halt when they're marching, he doesn't hear it right away. And so he messes up the line and he gets in trouble and Rudy sticks up for him. But they both get punished every time they have to like run laps or, you know, do crazy exercises. One night, Rudy tries to use this like he's so tired and so sore to get Liesel to kiss him. She still refuses. He's always trying to get her to kiss him. And on page 271, it says, Liesel also realized that it was most likely those sodden days at Hitler Youth that fed his and subsequently her own desire for crime. They really love stealing things. So the next chapter is called The Losers. So the group, like the gang of thieves that they joined, remember the leader of it, Albert, moved away. And so their new leader's name is Victor Chemmel. He has no reason to steal. He comes from a rich family. He just does it because he's weird. And Rudy and Liesel dislike him because he's rude and he's not a good leader. They do like having a leader. They just don't like him. But they do continue to steal with him. They steal apples and they realize that the trees are practically bare and they only get one apple each. And Rudy complains about this. Then Victor pins him down and Rudy punches him. Victor spits blood at him and Victor's like, I'm going to get revenge. So they no longer steal with Victor Chemmel and that gang anymore. The next chapter is called Sketches. So Max spends all of his time in the basement, obviously. And remember, they painted all those pages of Mein Kampf. And so he's painting over those pages and writing his own thoughts, which is so poetic that a Jewish boy is painting over the words of Hitler in Mein Kampf and writing his own story. On page 277, it says, in his loneliest moments in the basement, the words started piling up around him. And he decides he's going to write this book to give to Liesel when he finishes it. Liesel goes down one day and finds him asleep and she picks up his book and looks through it and she sees that there's a drawing of Hitler and then another drawing of these two Germans standing on a pile of dead Jewish people and the sun is the swastika. This obviously frightens Liesel. She doesn't understand, you know, everything that's going on. She's only 12, but he wakes up and scares her and she leaves. All right. Next chapter is the whistler and the shoes. So one day Rudy gets sent to do some drills in the field of cow manure. He gets in trouble for defending Tommy Mueller again and he basically comes home covered in cow poo and he's like I need a victory. He's like Liesl you can cheer me up and she's like absolutely not you're covered in poop I'm not kissing you. He's like that's not what I was talking about and she understands she's like okay we need to steal something. He needs to feel a victory and so the next day they set out to steal something but they have no idea what to steal and they walk the entire day before Liesel is like okay wait I have an idea and they walk to the mayor's house they walk up to the house and Liesel notices that the mayor's wife the window that she always keeps open is closed and she's like okay that's a bummer but they visit again on a different day and they find the window open and Rudy thinks they're going to steal food but Liesel plans to steal a book In fact, she wants to steal a specific book, which is The Whistler, which is the book she was reading when Mayor's wife fired her. The mayor's wife actually offered Liesel to take the book. She was like, you can have it. But Liesel was like, I don't want your pity. So now she wants to steal it. She enters the house through the window, finds the Whistler book and jumps out the window and they run as fast as they can. They run far away, but they realize that 
they left Liesel's shoes and Rudy runs back to get them and comes back and he asks Liesel for a kiss again and she refuses. And on page 292, Death says, that night Liesel Meminger truly became the book thief. The next chapter is Three Acts of Stupidity by Rudy Steiner. So Rudy is starving, like I said, and he has six siblings and they have no food and he goes into a market and he tries to steal a potato. Unfortunately for him, he picks the biggest potato that he can see, which all of the women in the store had been eyeing because they wanted it for themselves. So he gets caught. Luckily, one of his teachers from school is there and he's like, please don't take me. Like, please don't call the police. This is my teacher. Can't you vouch for how poor I am? I'm just hungry. And the teacher's like, yeah, he's really poor. And so they don't call the police and they let him go. Okay, so the next act of stupidity by Rudy Steiner is that he's at Hitler Youth and the teacher or leader or whatever asks him what Hitler's birthday is. And Rudy knows when his birthday is, but he answers Jesus's birthday instead to be funny. The leader does not think that this is funny. His name is Franz Dutcher. He basically is like a really big bully. When Rudy runs into him on the street, not at Hitler Youth, after he answered Jesus's birthday, this boy, I think he's not much older than them, is like taunting him and Liesel's like, let's leave. Anyway, they get into a fight. Rudy gets a bloody nose, black eye situation. This Franz guy takes a pocket knife and cuts Rudy's hair. Anyway, he beats him and leaves. And the third thing that Rudy did that was stupid was he started skipping Hitler youth meetings altogether. He's like, I'm not interested in this anymore. Tommy decides to ditch Hitler youth with him as well. His parents are like, you can't do that we're going to get in trouble if we don't send our kid to Hitler Youth, basically. And so they luckily allow him and Tommy to join a different division with a better leader. And on page 299, it says, the one time in his life that his idiotic behavior delivered beneficial results. The last chapter in this part is called The Floating Book Part 2. So one day in December, Rudy and Liesel are walking together, and Rudy sees Franz Duscher, the leader from his old Hitler youth program and they successfully avoid him by taking another path unfortunately they run into Victor Chemmel the leader of the thieves who said you know I'll get you back Rudy and he takes this opportunity to get back at Rudy so he takes the book out of Liesel's hands which is the whistler and he throws it into the river Now, Rudy knows how important Liesel's books are to her, and so he runs into the riverbank to get it. He finds it, and he's, like, holding it up in the water, standing there being like, I did it, I got this for you, whatever, and he asks Liesel for a kiss. And Death says on page 303, In truth, I think he was afraid. Rudy Steiner was scared of the book Thief's Kiss. He must have longed for it so much. He must have loved her so incredibly hard, so hard that he would never ask for her lips again, and would go to his grave without them. But this was Rudy's moment of victory that he'd been waiting for. He successfully saved something that Liesel loved, and he was like, this is my chance to get a kiss, and she, again, obviously refused. Okay, part six is called The Dream Carrier, featuring Death's Diary, The Snowman, 13 Presents, The Next Book, The Nightmare of a Jewish Corpse, A Newspaper Sky, A Visitor, I don't know how to say this word, a schmunzler, and a final kiss on poisoned cheeks. 
So chapter one of this part is called Death's Diary, 1942. So Death tells us a little bit more about himself. He doesn't wear a black cloak. He doesn't look like the Grim Reaper, although he does say he kind of likes the idea of the Grim Reaper. But in 1942, he's working more than usual. On page 308, there's a side note that says, an abridged roll call for 1942. Number one, the desperate Jews their spirits in my lap as we sat on the roof next to the steaming chimneys, which is such an awful visual of death sitting on top of the roofs in Auschwitz as the Jewish people are being burned in the incinerator and their ashes are coming up the chimney. Number two, the Russian soldiers taking only small amounts of ammunition, relying on the fallen for the rest. And number three, the soaked bodies of a French coast beached on the shingle and sand which originally I thought was Dunkirk, but that was in, like, that ended in 1940. So I think what he's referring to, and I could be wrong, and I don't know how to say it, but it's Dieppe Raid, D-I-E-P-P-E, or Operation Jubilee. I think that might be what he's talking about. Anyway, so on page 309, he says, they say that war is death's best friend, but I must offer you a different point of view on that one. To me, war is like the new boss who expects the impossible. The boss, however, does not thank you. He asks for more. Okay, the next chapter is called The Snowman. So, Liesel is now 13 years old, and on Christmas Eve, she brings some snow inside the house for Max. She brings buckets full of snow down to the basement. They have a snowball fight. Even Hans and Rosa join, and then they build a snowman together. On page 313... Max says to Liesel, often I wish this would all be over, Liesel, but then somehow you do something like walk down the basement steps with a snowman in your hands. So he's kind of losing hope at this point, but Liesel is the one thing that's keeping him going. But sadly, Max's health declines, and as he's in the basement, he has trouble getting warm. In February, he basically collapses, and at this point, Rosa and Hans carry him to Liesel's room, and cover him in blankets and try just to keep him warm, and he just stays in Liesel's room for the time being. And on page 316, it says, He was the second snowman to be melting away before her eyes, only this one was different. The next chapter is called 13 Presents. So Liesel sits with Max and talks with him while he lays there unconscious. He's unconscious for a long time. Liesel just tries to spend time with him, trying to get him to wake up. And death comes for Max but he finds that Max is fighting him off. One day he wakes up just enough to swallow some soup before he falls back into unconsciousness again. So Liesel starts reading to Max, and she starts reading the book The Whistler. So every day she rushes home from school to check on him and to read to him. And this goes on for a few days until finally Rosa kicks her out of the house and tells her to go play soccer. Liesel was like, okay, but if Max wakes up, come and yell for me just, you know, lie and say that I did something wrong and that you're going to whip me or something like that because all the other kids will believe that. During the game, the ball is run over by a car and totally flattened, and she takes it home with her and puts it on her bedside table for Max, and then she starts collecting things to gift to Max, and she ends up with 13 presents. And on page 321, it says, How could something so seemingly insignificant give comfort to someone? 
but she does it anyway. In late February, Liesl sees a beautiful cloud. Remember, Max really likes it when she comes to tell him the weather. And so Hans suggests that she gives a gift of the cloud to Max by writing it out, like describing it. And so she does, and she finishes reading the whistler to Max, and she cries because he's still not awake. The next chapter is called Fresh Air and Old Nightmare and What to Do with a Jewish Corpse. So Liesl tells Rudy that she wants to steal another book from the mayor. And so they ride over there on their bikes and plot how they're going to go in. Rudy says it's his turn to go inside this time, even though Liesl protests. However, the mayor's wife is too close for comfort. And so he's like, okay, no, we can't go in. I can see her through a window. We just got to come back another day. But Liesl is determined and she goes inside the house through the window and she finds a book called The Dream Carrier. When she sees the title of the book, she knows that she has to steal it because it reminds her of her and Max and how they both have nightmares. So she steals it and leaves, and they ride home, and she begins reading it to Max. In March, Rosa starts to lose all hope and wonders what to do with Max's body if he dies. So Liesl has a nightmare, but instead of seeing her brother, she sees Max, and so she gets really upset. In March, one day... Liesl's in school, and Rosa comes storming into her class and starts yelling at her about the hairbrush. Did you take the hairbrush? Where's the hairbrush? She takes Liesl out into the hallway, and she pulls her close and whispers that Max finally woke up. And she's like, you told me that they would buy this story if I yelled. So Max is awake, and Liesl spends the rest of the day in school, and then she goes home, and they talk. He's kind of like, Liesl, I'm afraid to fall back to sleep and so she keeps him awake by reading to him and talking to him slowly his health returns and he goes back to the basement because it's getting warmer on page 335 death says the bombs were coming and so was i the next chapter is death's diary cologne i think that's how you say it it's a place it's a city on may 30th there is a bomb raid death takes 500 souls and as he carries a teenager away He gets distracted by a group of girls who are pointing out a falling black object from the sky, which is an empty fuel container. And on page 338, Death says, As usual, I collected humans. I was tired, and the year wasn't even halfway over yet. So the bomb raids are getting closer and closer to Liesel's town. The next chapter is called The Visitor. So the Nazi party starts going around inspecting homes for their basements to determine if they're big enough and good enough to withstand a bomb raid. They're labeling homes to see, you know, assign people if there is a bomb raid and the alarm goes off, this is the house that you're going to. The kids are playing soccer when Liesel sees these two Nazi party members walking and she's like, they're headed towards my house. I have to act quickly. And you know she can't just leave the soccer game and go inside because that will be suspicious. So she collides with a boy so hard that even the party members stop to check on her. She gets her knee scraped. She's like, go get my dad. So Hans comes out and carries her back home and she tells him about the Nazi party going house to house. While she does warn them, they unfortunately only have enough time to yell down the basement for Max and say, hey, like hide as best you can because they're going to come look in the basement they can't like what are they supposed to do put him in one of the bedrooms what if they check the whole house you know they don't know what's going to happen and so they're panicked so there's a knock at the door before he answers the door he tells Liesl and Rosa just act totally normal don't look at the basement don't act nervous I'm just going to brush it off like oh yeah absolutely go like go ahead and go look 
And so he answers the door. The Nazi party member notices Liesel right away and asks if her knee's okay. And he tells them he needs to inspect their basement to see if they can make it into a bomb shelter. And Hans is like, of course, like waves him off. He's like, sorry, it's messy. Go ahead and look. And then starts tending to Liesel's knee as if everything is fine and he's not worried at all. So the man goes downstairs. Hans is like, Rosa, go start cooking. Liesel, read a book, act normal. And as Liesel runs to her room, the man comes up from the basement and tells them that it's too shallow for a bomb shelter. And then he leaves. And they check on Max as soon as the man leaves. And he's sitting there in the corner behind his like paint tarp curtains, holding a pair of scissors in his hands. He's just absolutely terrified. And he says to Hans, I wouldn't have used them, the scissors. And then he says, I'm sorry I put you through that. Rosa says, you're alive. We all are. And Death says, it was too late now for apologies. Okay, the next chapter is called The Schmunzeller. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But from what I understand, a schmunzel is a grin, like a smile. So somebody else knocks on the door when they're all in the basement with Max. They hide him again quickly because they worry that it's the Nazi party, but it's just Rudy. He comes to the door and he starts talking to Liesel and he's like, what's that smell? That's cigarettes. Do you have any that we could sell? And she's like, I'm not stealing from my dad. He's like, but you steal from other places. And she's like, can you stop talking so loud? My parents are inside. And then he schmunzled, smiled, grinned. And he's like, see what stealing does? You're all worried. She's like, please leave. You're really annoying. So he walks out to the street. But before Liesel closes the door, he calls back and asks her if everything is good. And what he meant was, is your knee okay? But on page 348, it says, it was June. It was Germany. Things were on the verge of decay. Liesel was unaware of this. For her, the Jew in her basement had not been revealed. Her foster parents were not taken away. And she herself had contributed greatly to both of these accomplishments. And she says, everything's good. She was not talking about the soccer injury of any description. She was fine. The next chapter is called Death's Diary, The Parisians. And I'm going to read this opening paragraph because it's incredibly sad and devastating, but also beautifully written. So it starts on page 349. Summer came. For the book thief, everything was going nicely. For me, the sky was the color of Jews. When their bodies had finished scouring for gaps in the door, their souls rose up. When their fingernails had scratched at the wood, and in some cases were nailed into it by the sheer force of their desperation, their spirits came toward me, into my arms, and we climbed out of those shower facilities, onto the roof and up, into eternity's certain breadth. They just kept feeding me, minute after minute, shower after shower. I'll never forget the first day in Auschwitz. Death is having a hard time understanding why these things are happening, why there's so much death, and why so many Jewish people are dying. He says, everyone asks God in these moments, and he's like, I've asked him too, but he doesn't answer me either. He says that when he goes to pick up the Jewish people who are gassed, he tries to do it with respect and care. Okay, part seven is called The Complete Duden Dictionary and Thesaurus, featuring champagne and accordions, a trilogy some sirens, a sky stealer, an offer, the long walk to Dachau, peace, an idiot, and some coat men. The first chapter is called Champagne and Accordions. So Liesel's town prepares for the inevitable bomb raid. Every house that has a bomb shelter is labeled, and every house gets their assignment of where they're supposed to go. 
Hans work picks up because people needed him to paint their blinds black in order to shut out the light at night so that the planes couldn't see their houses from above and couldn't tell that it was a town. He has a hard time finding black paint because there is a shortage, so he has to mix other colors and charcoals and things like that to make black paint. And sometimes Liesl goes with him to paint. And while she does, he tells her stories about how he met Rosa and things like that. And on his breaks, he plays the accordion. Some of the people don't have the money to pay Hans for his services, but for those people, he still does it anyway. And one day, they are at a house that seems like they have a lot of money, but they say that they don't have any money to pay him. And so he decides, he sees a bottle of champagne and he says, I'll have a glass of champagne instead. And so he brings Liesl in and they drink champagne out of these really tall glasses. He says, don't tell mom about this. And she asks if she can tell Max instead. And he says, yes. Liesl spends a lot of her time writing. And on page 358, it says, if only she could be so oblivious again to feel such love without knowing it, mistaking it for laughter and bread with only the scent of jam spread on top of it. It was the best time of her life. But it was bombing carpet, make no mistake. Hard times were coming, like a parade. The next chapter is called The Trilogy. So while Liesl works with her dad, Rudy runs. He is preparing for an upcoming Hitler Youth event, like a track and field event. And he wants to prove to everybody that he's not crazy, he's not stupid. Remember, he's having some hard times with his Hitler Youth instructor. So he wants to prove himself. And he wants to win four medals in this competition. So the first race he runs and he wins. The second race he runs and he wins. The third race he runs and he wins. However, on the fourth race, he is disqualified because he false starts two times in a row. So he doesn't get to run. And Liesl goes to him after and he says that he did it on purpose. And he never tells her why he did it on purpose. But later in life, she thinks she knows the reason was because he wasn't Jesse Owens. And Jesse Owens had four gold medals. And so he was like, I'm not Jesse Owens. I'm not going to get four. So time passes and Liesl steals another book from the mayor called A Song in the Dark. In late August, Liesl and Rudy go to the mayor's house to steal another book. But this time they find a book leaning against the window from the inside. And it's the complete Dudden Dictionary and Thesaurus. Obviously, it was placed there intentionally. And Liesl is like, maybe I shouldn't take it. But she opens the window and takes it. And when she looks back as she rides away, she finds the mayor's wife watching her. Liesl waves and the mayor's wife waves back. And when Liesl opens the book, she finds a letter that she wrote Liesl. And in the note, she tells Liesl that she knows she's been stealing her books and she's been allowing it to happen. She apologizes again for firing her mother. She says, I hope someday you'll come through the front door like a civilized person instead of sneaking through the window and stealing. Liesl rides back to the house after reading the letter and intends to knock on the door and apologize, but she chickens out and doesn't. She feels very guilty that she didn't knock and that she didn't thank her and apologize and wonders if she deserves to be happy. It says on page 370, can a person steal happiness or is it just another infernal human trick? The next chapter is called The Sound of Sirens. So in September, 
The sirens go off to warn them that bombs are coming. They run down to the basement to say their goodbyes to Max, since he obviously can't come to the neighbor's house to the bomb shelter with them. They're terrified that Max is going to die. Max is terrified he's going to die, but there's nothing they can do at this moment. So they go to their neighbor's house a few doors down. 22 people cram themselves into this basement that's deep enough, supposedly, to protect them. And Rudy's family is one of them. When they're in the basement, Rudy finds Liesel. She looks around and compiles a list to herself of the people who are afraid. So Alex Steiner, Rudy's dad, reaches out and grabs his son's hand, his oldest son, Kurt. And Kurt holds the hand of his sister and on and on and on. And soon everyone in the cellar was holding the hand of another. They're all in this circle. And death says about these German people hiding in a basement. Did they deserve any better, these people? How many had actively persecuted others? High on the scent of Hitler's gaze, repeating his sentences, his paragraphs, his opus. Was Rosa Huberman responsible, the hider of a Jew, or Hans? Did they all deserve to die, the children? The answer to each of these questions interests me very much. Though I cannot allow them to seduce me, I only know that all of those people would have sensed me that night, excluding the youngest children. I was the suggestion. I was the advice, my imagined feet walking into the kitchen and down the corridor. As often is the case with humans when I read about them in the book Thief's Words, I pitied them, though not as much as I felt for the ones I scooped up from various camps in that time. The Germans in the basement were pitiable, surely, but at least they had a chance. That basement was not a washroom. They were not sent there for a shower. For these people, life was still achievable. When they're in the basement, all Liesl can really think about is Max. The raid ends, there's no bombs that go off, and they're all alive. They go in the basement to check on Max, and he tells them that he couldn't help himself, and while everyone was hiding in the bomb shelters, he went upstairs and he looked out the window. He's afraid that they're going to be mad, but Hans says, what did you see? He had not seen the outside world for 22 months. Hans just says, what did you see? And he says, there were stars. They burned my eyes. The next chapter is called The Sky Stealer. So they discover that that first raid wasn't even a real raid. It was a false alarm, and there were never any planes or bombs. However, the second raid is real. On page 380, it says, War clearly blurred the distinction between logic and superstition. So this time when the alarm goes off, everybody is frightened, including Rudy. He wasn't really scared the first time. So they leave Max and they go to their bomb shelter. The children are crying. The people are agitated. And Liesl, in order to comfort herself, starts reading one of her books out loud. Quietly at first, Rudy's really the only one who can hear her. He kind of quiets his sisters and then one by one, Everyone starts listening until Liesel is the only person speaking. As long as they're in the basement, she reads this book. The raid ends as Liesel finishes a chapter. And they all leave, and they kind of thank Liesel. They go check on their houses, and they find it untouched. Max is okay. And they tell Max about how Liesel read to everyone. And he comes up with a new idea for his sketchbook called The Word Shaker. And Liesel thinks about how if bombs did drop... Max would die completely alone. The next chapter is called Frau Holtzapfel's Offer. And remember, Frau Holtzapfel is the enemy of Rosa Huberman. She's the one that spits on their door every night. So two apartments and a field were destroyed during the raid. 
One day, Frau Holzapfel visits them, knocks on their door. She asks Liesel to come read to her twice a week, and in exchange, she promises to stop spitting on their door and even give them her coffee ration. Rosa agrees with this, and so twice a week, Liesel goes to her house and reads from the book that she was reading in the basement. (laughs) And she says on 388, this was my punishment for all that stealing. It finally caught up with me. Okay, the next chapter is called The Long Walk to Dachau. So Dachau is a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. And in this chapter, three trucks full of Jewish people stop near Liesel's town in Mulching on the way to Dachau. The leader of this Nazi party who has all these Jewish prisoners decides to do a parade. And so he makes these Jewish people march through the streets of Mulching. The kids are outside playing soccer. When they hear a strange noise, they see the Jewish people starting to march through their neighborhood. Liesel finds her dad, Hans, outside, and he tries to get Liesel to not watch, but she's like, no, I'm staying. On page 392, it says, The suffering faces of depleted men and women reached across them, pleading not so much for help. They were beyond that, but for an explanation. So soldiers lined the sides, rushed the Jewish people as they walked, And as Liesl watches them, sometimes catching their eye, trying to convey her sorrow, she's trying to show them, like, I'm with you, I'm so sorry. And there's an old man in the crowd who keeps falling down, and he's trailing behind, and he's very weak, and he looks, you know, obviously like he's dying. And Hans Huberman can no longer stand it. And he goes to this old man, and he offers him a piece of bread. A soldier catches up to them, and he whips the Jew, and then he whips Hans Huberman. Rudy holds on to Liesel as she cries and tries to stop it. He was struck four times, and then he hit the ground. And it says on page 394, When the elderly Jew climbed to his feet for the last time and continued on, he looked briefly back. He took a last sad glance at the man who was kneeling now himself, whose back was burning with four lines of fire, whose knees were aching in the road. If nothing else, the old man would die like a human, or at least with the thought that he was a human. After this, people start calling Hans a Jew lover. They help him back to his house, and this is when Hans begins to panic because he's a target now, and he knows that they're going to come to his home and search his home because he has been now labeled a Jew lover, and they're going to come and search his home to see if he's hiding any Jews. The next chapter is called Peace. So, That night, Hans gets home. He explains to Max the situation, and Max is forced to leave the house, which is just the saddest situation I could possibly think of. Because where is he supposed to go? The plan is that in four days, he's supposed to meet Hans down the river under a bridge, and they'll figure out where to go from there. But when Hans goes there four days later, he only finds a note that says, You've done enough. Before Max leaves, though, he tells Liesel that he left something for her that she will get when she's ready. Okay, the next chapter is called The Idiot and the Coat Men. So the day that Hans helped the Jewish man and Max left, Hans stays up all night waiting for the Gestapo to come and get him, the Nazi party to come and get him. He tortures himself waiting for them to show up because obviously he blames himself for Max having to leave. Liesel prays to God for Max's survival, and as time passes, you know, Max leaves the note, Hans waits for punishment, 
and it doesn't come and he feels like an idiot and three weeks go by and he's just thinking I made Max leave for nothing because they're not coming for me but three weeks go by and finally two men in long black coats walk down their street and Hans is convinced it's for him but they stop next door at Rudy's house and ask for him. Okay, guys, that is the end of episode two. In episode three, we'll go over parts eight through the end of the book and do an in-depth cover of the themes. So be sure to check that out. Also, make sure you follow Brief Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. I post there when I post a new podcast, so you'll be the first to know if you follow me there. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave me a review.